0: Good morning, Fellowship Greenville. So good to see you. So good to be with you again. What you're gonna need to do is reach up, take your seatbelt and put it on because we're gonna hit uh, the gas and we're gonna go forward. We're gonna look at a lot of scripture this morning, which is not the normal way that we do things. We typically are unpacking paragraph by paragraph through a whole book in the Bible, but we're gonna do something a little bit different because this morning we are continuing in our series on our seven core values that we began about a month ago. And as we said, that our heart and our passion is to be a community of grace that is passionately pursuing life and mission with Jesus. That is our mission statement. To passionately pursue life and mission with Jesus. The question then is, well what, is that, what exactly does that look like? What does it look like in daily life? And that's where our seven core values come in. What it looks like is that as individuals and as a community of Christ followers, we are growing in these seven areas. Enjoying God, loving others, understanding scripture, depending on the spirit, living in integrity and magnifying grace, and all of those things add up to advancing the gospel in our world today. And this morning we're gonna look at that fourth value in the list, depending on the spirit. Now, I want to begin by making a little confession. I, I grew up in the church. My parents took me to church pretty much every time the door was open. And so, so through the through the years as a kid and as a teenager and as a young adult, I heard a lot about the Holy Spirit. And back in the olden days, uh, he was called the Holy Ghost, which to a second grade, Greater can really freak you out, but <clears throat> growing up, my my take on the Holy Spirit was this: I believed in God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, just like we sung about. And I could go with uh, God the Father because I had a father, and that made sense. And God is like my father, my heavenly father. And i I could go with God the Son because I'm a son, so it made sense that I would be a child of my heavenly father. And I also believe that Jesus, as the Son of God, died. To forgive my sins and to give me eternal life. And I understood that and I believe that. But the Holy Spirit did not make that much sense to me. It didn't he didn't seem relevant. In fact, when 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 people talked about the Holy Spirit, they would use this funny accent like Holy Ghost, you know, like this kind of thing. And and they always wanted to have a Holy Ghost revival. You know, that kind of thing. And and I I, I heard about churches where the Holy Ghost would show up and strange things would happen. I'm like, no, thank you. I don't want any part of that. So growing up, I was comfortable with God the Son. I was comfortable with God the Father, not so much so the Holy Spirit. Now, you may feel the same way. You, you believe that there's a Holy Spirit because the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, and, uh, but you really don't understand who the Spirit is or what the Spirit does and, and, you, and maybe you think that people who talk about the Holy Spirit the most are just plain weird. So the question is, why do we need the Holy Spirit? What, why not just the Father and the Son? What part does the Spirit play in our lives? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Now, when we come uh, to the Holy Spirit, we, again, we come again to one of those teachings about, uh, that Jesus gives us that really sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. I mean, if you attend here on a regular basis, you will hear us talk about this quite often. Uh, You'll hear us talk about how, despite what a lot of people think, um, all religions are not the same, and Christianity is very different from all other world religions. And, And here's the biggest way. Most of the world's religions basically teach that there are certain things you need to do and certain things you don't do in order to go to heaven when you die. Certain rules, certain laws, certain principles to obey so you can have eternal life or enter into the cosmic consciousness of the universe or whatever eternal benefit that particular religion promises to its followers. Christianity is different in that it teaches that every one of us has this basic, inherent inclination to please ourselves rather than God and no amount of willpower will result in our being able to live the kind of life that God wants for us. And Bible history and really all of human history bears this out because no matter how many rules that God gives us, no matter how many rules we come up with to help us keep the rules that God has given us, no matter how hard we try to keep all those rules, we always come up short We always fall short of the standard that God set for us and we also fall short of the standards we set for ourselves. And so hundreds of years before Jesus came, God began to talk about what he called the new covenant, a new arrangement, uh, a new kind of relationship between people and God in which God would put his very own spirit inside of people in order to give them the power and the desire uh, to, uh, to live as his people. Now, we're gonna cover a bunch of scripture this morning, so I encourage you just to jot down the references, and, um, and, and that way you can go back later and, and look at them. But I, I, I really need to give you this broad overview so you get the big idea that, that you can be convinced that you need to apply this to your life because really this is what the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament is about when it comes to the Spirit. So going back to the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah put it this way in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 33. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 33. Jeremiah says, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the old covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand and brought them out of Egypt. My covenant, that was the covenant they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Now, here it is. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. So rather than have rules written on rock tablets, God will write his law into our hearts. The question is, how is he going to do that? Well, the prophet Ezekiel spoke of this new covenant and he helps us understand a little more clearly what Jeremiah meant by God uh, when he said that, uh, that uh, God would, uh, would write his law on our hearts. So this is Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. 36, 26, 27, all right? So Ezekiel, uh, God says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. God knows that on our own, we cannot live the life that he intends for us to live. We cannot consistently obey his law. So he promises through the prophets And as we'll see in a moment, there are a lot of other prophets who talked about the Spirit's coming as well. But God promises that at some time in the future, he will establish a new covenant with his people, a new kind of relationship between people and God, by which he will put his very own Spirit inside us to empower us to walk in his ways. So now fast forward to Jesus Because what we see in Jesus is that before God sends his Spirit to live inside people, he shows us what it looks like to live a life that is filled with the Spirit. And he shows us in Jesus. Because Jesus is the ultimate example of what it means to be Spirit-filled. And what I want you to understand about Jesus and his relationship to the Holy Spirit is this. This is very, very important. Jesus did all that he did in the power of the Spirit. He did all that he did in the power of the Spirit. He preached, he worked miracles, he cast out demons, he lived a morally perfect life, he carried out his mission of seeking and saving that which was lost because he was full of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me show you how one of Jesus's biographers named Luke emphasizes this. So, find your way to Luke 4, And as you're finding your way to Luke chapter four, let me give you, let me ramp up to it by starting back in Luke one. In Luke chapter one, Luke makes it clear that it was the Holy Spirit who gave Jesus his physical body. You remember what the angel said to Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. So Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then in Luke 3, at his baptism, we see that the Spirit visibly comes on Jesus at his baptism to empower him to begin his public ministry. Luke 3, 21 and 22, Luke 3, 21 and 22, says that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in a bodily form like a dove, meaning that many people, saw some kind of visual manifestation of the Spirit coming down on Jesus and filling him. And then right after Jesus is baptized, as chapter 4 begins, we're told that the Spirit leads Jesus into a time of testing and temptation. Luke says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized And he was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. So Jesus was full of the Spirit. He was led around by the Spirit. And these are Luke's ways of telling us that Jesus did what he did because he was depending on the Spirit. And then this is neat. This is what happened next. In verse 14, after Jesus is tempted by the devil, verse 14 says, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread all through the surrounding district. Verse 15, and he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all, and then he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, verse 18, here it is. All a build up for this. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free all those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down and the eyes of everybody in the synagogue was on him. And he began to say to them, "Today." This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, here's the point. At the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, both Luke and Jesus himself make it abundantly clear that the source of Jesus' power was not his deity, but his dependence on the Holy Spirit. Luke and Jesus make it clear that the source of Jesus' power was not the fact that he was God in the flesh, not his deity, but his dependence on the spirit. Matthew tells us the same thing in the middle of Jesus' ministry. In Matthew chapter 12, he talks about how Jesus cast out demons by the spirit of God. A great crowd came around Jesus, and Matthew tells us that Jesus healed all their sick. And you might think, well, Jesus did that because he was God. Well, that's not the way that Matthew reports the event. Matthew tells us that Jesus healed people in order to fulfill another prophecy of Isaiah where Isaiah says, I will put my spirit on him. And then, and get this, after Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended back into heaven, Peter summed up Jesus' ministry by saying, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Now again, what all this means is that Jesus didn't live the life, the, that he didn't live the kind of life he lived because he was God. He was God. God the Son. God in a body. But Philippians chapter 2 tells us that when Jesus left heaven and came to earth, he gave up the rightful use of his God powers, and he lived as one of us. He lived as a human. And, and, and so what he did, he, when he preached and he worked miracles and cast out demons, he was never overcome by evil or selfish temptations. He carried out God's purpose for his life because he was filled with the Spirit of God. Because he lived moment by moment dependence on the Spirit. In other words, Jesus lived the most dynamic life ever lived because he lived the most dependent life ever lived. And he passed on this same method of ministry. Oh, excuse me, Uh, uh, I need to go to John first. Jesus himself made this point many times in John chapters five and and eight uh, and 14. Jesus said, I can do nothing of myself. He said, I never say a word unless I've heard the Father say it first. I, he he I, he says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. And he says he accomplished all that he accomplished by depending on the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's power to fulfill his Father's will. He talks about this in John 14, 10 when he says, Everything I do, I do because the Father dwells in me, which is just another way of talking about how he was full of the Spirit and led around by the Spirit of God. A professor of mine back in the old days at Dallas Seminary named Jack Deer put it this way. Jack Deer says, among all the servants of God, Jesus is indeed unique. He is unique because he is God. He is unique because he's the only human ever to obey God perfectly and live a sinless life. He is unique in that he did not simply announce the kingdom of God as other prophets did, but he brought the kingdom within his person. He is unique in his authority within the kingdom. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he, he said, and then he is unique in his atoning sacrifice on the cross. He is not unique, however, in the source of his power for earthly ministry. His power to live a moral life and to minister miraculously is unequivocally attributed to the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, the point is, Jesus did everything he did by depending on the Spirit's power to work in him and through him, and he passed that way of doing ministry on to his disciples. Find your way to John chapter 16 and we're gonna look at verses seven through 15. John 16, 17 through 15. I told you we're gonna look at a lot of scripture. You with me? Okay, one person's got their thumb up, that's a good. All I need is just one, I can keep going. So, uh, uh, we're gonna cover, cover lots of scripture. You gotta, you, gotta get, you gotta see the big picture in order to get the big idea, okay? Now, as you're finding your way, let me ask you this question: If you had a choice between having Jesus at your side or the Holy Spirit in your heart, which would you choose? Well, okay, you're getting ahead of me. It's just say, just to think the other way. Now, initially, see, I would say, I would I, I, initially, I would say, well, I want Jesus at my side. I mean, telling you know, telling you what you should and shouldn't do, and and uh, I mean. Uh, you know, like that, versus the Holy Spirit invisibly, mystically residing in the deep recesses of my heart. I mean, I would choose Jesus at my side. I mean, doing life with a living, breathing Jesus who leads me and he guides me, who could wave his hand and heal me, who could say a word and get me through rush hour traffic on Woodruff Road in record time, or when I go on vacation, he, with having Jesus at my side, laying on the blanket right next to me, he could make the sun shine on a cloudy day at the beach, I mean, I would take Jesus hands down, or at least that's what I used to think, but that's not what Jesus says is best. John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus tells his best friends, it's to your advantage that I go away, because if I don't leave, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, it is to your advantage, meaning you are better off with the Holy Spirit inside you than you are or that you would be with Jesus beside you. You're better off with the Holy Spirit inside you than you would be if Jesus could walk beside you. And really, when you think about it, it makes sense. The reasons should be obvious. A physical Jesus, Jesus in a human body, cannot be present with every one of his followers at the same time. Now, as God, Jesus was omnipresent. But as a man, Jesus could only be one place at a time with a select group of people. But when he returned to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, now Jesus can be with all of his followers, no matter where they are, all at the same time, all the time. So it is better to have Jesus inside us than having him beside us, And he tells his disciples in John 14, 15, and 16, it's that the Holy Spirit, he would send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would teach them and speak to them and remind them of what he has taught them. He said the Holy Spirit would convict you of all sin and guide you into all truth and even reveal certain things about the future. And that is exactly what happened. In the book of Acts, Jesus' disciples heard the Spirit speak and they were led by the Spirit in supernatural ways, and they worked miracles just as Jesus had done, and they carried Jesus' mission forward in the world, and it was all done just like Jesus did in the power of the Spirit. So, let's fast forward again, and let's look at how Luke goes on to tell us how the Holy Spirit came to fill the followers of Jesus. So, find your way to Acts chapter 2, We'll look at the first four verses, that's where we'll begin. Acts 2, 1 through 4 is where the promise of the new covenant and Jesus' promise to send the Holy Spirit, that's where these promises intersect. And this is where the promises become personal and missional. Okay, Jesus is crucified, raised from the dead. About 120 of his closest followers are huddled in a room in Jerusalem waiting as he had as he had instructed for what he called the promise of my father so that they would be clothed with power from on high Luke 22:49 so acts 2 this is what happened when the day of pentecost had come they were together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them. Now look at this. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now what is that all about? Well, if you clear away all the drama, like the violent rushing wind, the tongues of fire, speaking in other languages, it comes down to one thing. comes down to one thing which Peter clearly explains in verses 14 through 18. But Peter, taking a stand with the 11, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. These people that are acting very strange, they're not drunk as you as opposed, it's only nine in the morning, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Verse 17. 2.17, here it is. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on, not just the house of Israel, but all mankind. And your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit. So, just as God promised, Jesus sends a spirit to live inside all those who turn to him and trust him as their only hope for forgiveness and life, which is exactly what Peter says in verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Look at this. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, what was the promise? The promise was that God will send his spirit to live inside us. The promise is for you and your children, Israel, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. So the new covenant has expanded and exploded beyond Israel and now it goes to the world, to those that God draws to himself, who put their faith and trust in Jesus. And when you see the rest of the book of Acts, and we don't have time to go through it all, but the rest of the book of Acts shows us how the early of disciples of Jesus, who were filled with the Holy Spirit, shows us how they carried forth the mission of Jesus in their world by depending on the Spirit. The Acts of the Apostles would be better titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because on nearly every page You read about people being filled with the Spirit, people hearing the Spirit speak, like, like, and the Spirit said to Philip, and the Spirit said to Peter, and the Spirit said to the elders, set apart Barnabas and Saul. And you read about people being led around by the Spirit. You read about how the Spirit brought Scripture to mind and how the Holy Spirit provided insight. You read about how the elders of the church seek the mind of the Spirit and get direction from the Spirit and how the Spirit prevented the church from going one direction and opened a door for them to go in another direction. And this is how we're supposed to live our lives, by depending on the Spirit. Now, in fact, here's how all those scriptures come together into one big idea that ties back to our mission statement. The Bible, this is it, the Bible clearly teaches that the way in which we are to passionately pursue life and mission with Jesus is by depending on the Spirit. Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, clearly teaches us that the way that we walk with God today is by depending on the Spirit, both life and mission. And we, as individual believers and as a church, We are to passionately pursue life and mission with Jesus by depending on the Spirit. That means we depend on the Spirit to guide us, to remind us, to teach us, to convict us. We depend on the Spirit to open and close doors, to give us the right words to speak, to reveal what God wants for us and the direction that God wants for us to go, and we're to live our lives listening for the Spirit to speak and then ready to move as he leads. Life and mission with Jesus. So there's a personal and a missional aspect to depending on the Spirit. So let's start with the missional. Missional dependence on the Holy Spirit. Now let me put it this way. I need to say this because you may be serving in the church or in some ministry and you're feeling burned out or you may be feeling led to work in some area of the church, like leading a community group or uh, uh, teaching in our children's ministry, our student ministry, or something like that, and you're thinking, well, I just don't know if I can do that. Listen, trying to do the work of Jesus without the spirit of Jesus, trying to live the life of Jesus without the power of Jesus, trying to do God things without the power of God, it just doesn't work, it's exhausting. It's futile, and it can actually be dangerous. It's only through dependence on the Spirit that we carry forward Jesus' mission in the world. That's how Jesus lived. And that's how he taught and later empowered his disciples to live. And that's what you see in the book of Acts as the work of God in this world passes from Jesus to the church. And one of the things that means for us here at Fellowship Greenville is that we're not simply a church that that comes up with our own three-year and five-year strategic plans where we set goals and establish objectives and we weigh pros and cons and we set the direction of the ministry with our plans and then we ask God to bless our plans. That's not the way that we work. Recently, I was talking to somebody about how God is led us directionally over the years. And one of the most significant times was back in 2005 when we launched Southside Christian School out to be its own ministry, to be a community ministry, not a church ministry. And some of you may not even know this, but at one time, Southside Church and Southside Christian School were one ministry. And uh, uh, and, and But there came a time when we launched the school out. And the way that happened, there, I mean, there's just no way that we could have planned the series of events that took place to move the church and launch the school. No way we could have orchestrated that. The whole thing was orchestrated by God. It's a long story with lots of moving parts, lots of praying, lots of seeking and knocking and asking, lots of building unity around this idea, seeing God bring over 40 church and school leaders to a unity of mind and heart, and I mean unanimous, all 40 leaders came to to one mind about what God was doing in our midst. But the key to it all was this. The leaders of both church and school laid aside our agendas and we asked God what he wanted to do. And then we spent a lot of time, two years, praying and listening for God to speak, looking for God to open and close doors, and then stepping out in faith without having all the I's dotted and T's crossed The whole process of launching the school and moving the church was truly one of being led around by the Spirit and much of the time it felt like being led around in the wilderness. Now the same thing happened with Jason Malone coming back on staff here to head up the Upstate Church Collective and be the pastor of Vision and Spiritual Direction. Back in April, I explained the process uh, that we went through of seeking and asking and knocking uh, for the Spirit to lead us in, 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 in establishing some kind of residency program and, and then having, uh, having another guy come on who would eventually become the directional leader and I would be able to continue to stay on as teaching pastor. And uh, by the way, if you missed all of that, you need to go back to the State of the Church Address that, uh, that uh, I gave on uh, April 18th in 2021. But uh, this was kind of interesting. The most um the, the, the most mentioned comment, comment after I preached that message was this. Wow, Charlie, it's really exciting to see how God worked in all of this. But, you know, there were so many moving parts and there were so many people that you talked about that, that I didn't know, and so many twists and turns, it was kind of just hard to follow. And I'm like, yeah, that's the point. I mean, the elders of Fellowship and Summit were being led around by the Spirit, and if some of it didn't make sense to you when I explained it back in April, I guarantee you a lot of it didn't make sense to us until we finally came to that Spirit-led aha moment when it all came together. You see, a church is not supposed to simply do ministry pragmatically. We're not a business. We are the Spirit-filled body of Christ, and that means the church is to live pneumatically, pneuma, Greek word for spirit, meaning that its leaders and people are to seek the mind of the spirit and follow the direction of the spirit and listen for the voice of the spirit. And what that looks like is the journey that we have been on for the last 25 years. Now here's one thing that I have learned over the past 34 years, because I did this kind of ministry in Little Rock for nine years, But over the last 34 years, here's one thing I've learned from prioritizing uh, pneumatic ministry over pragmatic ministry, and that is this. We should never judge a situation by what we see, hear, or feel. Rather, we're to hear from God. We're praying, asking God, what do you want to do? Where are you working? Rather, we are to hear from God, then we will know the truth about what God wants for us. Now, think about that for a moment. Think about the time the disciples were out in a boat in deep water when a violent storm came up and they thought they were going to die. Was was the truth of that situation based on what they heard or saw or felt? No, no. It looked like they wouldn't make it. It felt like they were gonna be lost at sea. But was that the truth? No. (laughs) The truth was in the back of the boat asleep. And so it was only when Jesus stood up and spoke and he calmed the storm and the sea that they knew the truth of that situation. You tracking with me? You never know the truth of any situation until we hear from Jesus, and that is how the whole thing with the church and school worked, that's how the whole thing with Jason coming back here on staff worked, and those are just two examples, and and there's lots, lots more, but I don't have time to go into them. But in every one of these Spirit-led directional events, the elders and pastors were looking for where the Spirit was working, We were asking God what he wanted to do. Then we were asking God what he wanted us to do. And when we sensed the Spirit's leading, we moved ahead. And in every case, we knew what God wanted us to do before we knew how he would do it. Write this down. Most often, when the Spirit shows you what to do, he does not tell you how to do it. Most often... The Spirit tells you what to do, but he doesn't always tell you how to do it, and that's where faith comes in. Faith is walking by, walking by faith and not by sight. Now, listen. Did we weigh pros and cons? Absolutely. Did we think strategically? Of course. Did we need to plan and crunch numbers? You better know it. Did we have to discern the difference between faith and presumption? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But when the Spirit leads, the question is never, can we do this or that or whatever? Can we, based on this many people, this much money, this degree of uncertainty, can we do a certain thing that we sense the Spirit is leading us to do? That's the wrong question. The question is, is this what the Spirit is leading us to do? And if the answer to that question is yes, if, as elders, we can unanimously say, it seems right to us and the Holy Spirit to move in this direction. If we can say that, then the next question is, will we believe, adjust, obey, and trust God to do what he says he will do, even when we, not, we may not be able to see on the front end how he's gonna do it? So when we ask the question, what does it look like to passionately pursue mission with Jesus in our world, one of the answers is we live on mission with Jesus by depending on his spirit to lead us, to guide us, to give us wisdom, to open and close doors, and to show us the way forward. That's the missional aspect of depending on the spirit. But there's a personal aspect as well. A personal dependence on the spirit to form the character of Christ in us. So uh, find your way to Galatians chapter five, Galatians five, We're going to look at verses 16 through 25, Galatians 5, 16 to 25. This passage, more than any other passage in the Bible, explains the relationship between the individual believer and the Holy Spirit in terms of daily life. And Paul says in Galatians 5, 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh." Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now the word picture the Apostle Paul uses to describe your interaction with the Holy Spirit is to walk by, walk with, go with the flow, move with, keep in step with, be sensitive to, respond positively to the Holy Spirit. And if you do, here's the great thing. If you learn to walk in the Spirit and it's something you learn to do, it's not like throwing a switch You learn to do it, but if you learn to walk by the Spirit, then, listen, at the end of the day, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Okay, what does that mean? Glad you asked. It means, at the end of the day, you will not have to deal with the residue of self-centered life. One more time, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not have to deal with the residue of a self-centered life. Because we all know that there's something inside of us that gravitates towards selfishness. There's something inside of us that gravitates towards doing the things we know we ought not do and saying the things that we know we ought not say. And just having rules and laws that tell us, don't do that, do this, don't do that, that doesn't give us the power and desire to live above selfishness. And Paul says if you want to live above all that, you need to learn to walk by the Spirit. And then he gives us a list of what self-centered living looks like, as if we needed a list. But in in, uh, chapter 5, verse 19, he says, Now the deeds of the flesh are obvious, uh, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities. Then he lists everything that you could possibly think of that will disrupt a relationship. Strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, Arguing, disputes, dissensions, factions. It's like saying the same thing over and over again. He's saying all the things that disrupt your marriage, all the conflicts you face with people at work, all the personality clashes you experience, all the jealousy and resentment and anger and arguments, all the things that happen because of my own bent towards self-centeredness that gets in the way of my relationships with other people. He's saying all those things are manifestations of what the Bible calls the flesh. But he isn't done, he goes on in verse 21, envying, drunkenness, partying, and things like these, of which I forewarn you now, just as I forewarned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul says, if you will learn to walk by the Spirit, or as he says in verse 18, allow yourself to be led by the Spirit, Then at the end of the day, you will not have a head full of mental and emotional garbage. You you won't live as a slave to uncontrolled or uncontrollable addictions. And all the things that come into your life that you look back on and you think, how in the world did I ever get involved in this? How did I ever get here? How did I ever say yes to that? Paul's saying all those kinds of things come from this self-promoting, self-protecting, self-destructive thing that is in all of us, what the Bible calls the flesh, which is our inherent self-centeredness, which is the DNA of sin. And Paul says if you learn what it means to walk by the Spirit, you will not, you, you will, excuse me, if you will learn what it means to walk by the Spirit and be led by the Spirit, you will not screw up your life with all this mental and emotional garbage. Instead, he says, when the Spirit leads, here's what you will experience. Again, this is a learning process. It's not like throwing a switch. But this is what you experience when the Spirit is leading you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no laws. In other words, you don't need rules anymore. Now, Lincoln, think of that. I mean, anybody want a life like that? Now, who does that remind you of? Jesus. Learning to walk by the Spirit, learning to be led by the Spirit, learning to depend on the Spirit, enlightens and empowers you to experience the life of Jesus coming through your life. That's what Paul is saying. That's the personal aspect of depending on the Spirit. And the point is, you don't need a bunch of rules and laws to, to do that and that's what he says in verse 18. He says, if you are led by the spirit, you're not under law. If you're led by the spirit, you don't need rules. You don't need rules with a bunch of negative consequences that threaten you. It doesn't work anyway, right, right? I mean, what happens inside you when somebody tells you you can't do something? I mean, you wanna do it. Rules and laws will not produce Christlikeness, only walking by the Spirit only, by depending on the Spirit and listening to the voice of the Spirit, will you be able to experience more and more of the life of Jesus. Now here's how my friend Andy puts it, how he defines walking by the Spirit. He says, walking by the Spirit is moment by moment dependence on the Holy Spirit to prompt you to do what God wants you to do and then empower you to do it. That's really good. It's both prompting and empowering. It's not so much a commitment to as a dependence on. Think about it. The gift of forgiveness in life did not come to you because you committed yourself to something. It came when you depended on someone, on Jesus, to do for you what you could never do on your own. And walking out the Christian life is the same. You're depending on the Holy Spirit's power to do in you and through you, what you can never do on your own. Let me put it this way depending on the Spirit is sensitivity to and submission to the initial promptings of the Holy Spirit. Sensitivity and submission to the initial promptings of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Christian life is not try to be more loving, try to be more joyful, try to be more patient, try to be more kind, try to be more, uh, be good. Try to be more faithful, it's do-be-do-be-do, as Frank Sinatra said, do-be-do-be-do, that's religion. That's law, that's living by the law, that's what every other religion in the world says. God says no, I'll put my spirit in you and your job is to be sensitive and submissive to the spirit's promptings and he will lead you into a whole different kind of life. A life of passionately pursuing life and mission with Jesus, a life where, God says, my law is written on your heart so that you will naturally or supernaturally experience a very different kind of life, a Jesus kind of life, the kind of life that God's always wanted for his people to live. Listen, as Christians, we talk a lot about having a personal relationship with Jesus. What makes the relationship personal is the Holy Spirit. What makes the relationship personal is being led around by the Spirit. What makes the relationship personal is the Spirit guiding you and reminding you and teaching you. It's the Holy Spirit that makes your relationship with God personal and then you are, then you, uh, then you are being sensitive and submissive to the Spirit, the prompting of the, of the Spirit and that's how we learn to passionately pursue life with Jesus. Look at verse 25. Here's Paul's summary statement. If we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit or better let us keep in step with the spirit. Let me give you two quick phrases that bring all this together practically. Two phrases, pay attention, keep in step. Pay attention, keep in step. Say it with me. Pay attention, keep in step. One more time. Pay attention. Keep in step. And a third time. Pay attention, keep in step. It's like this. It's waking up tomorrow morning and praying like this. Heavenly Father, today, help me to pay attention to the promptings of your spirit. I wanna be sensitive to your spirit. I wanna be submissive to the spirit to do as your spirit leads. Heavenly Father, by your spirit, help me live on mission with Jesus today. God, I know you're doing all kinds of things in my world. You're doing things in my life, and you're doing things in the life of the people that I live with and I, and I, and I work with and work around, and you're working in the lives of all kinds of people that are across my path today. And Lord Jesus, I want to join you in your work in my world. So if you want to use me in any of these people's lives, then prompt me and lead me. And give me wisdom to know what to do and what to say. And then give me courage to step out and do what you want me to do. And Father, today by your spirit, work more of Jesus into me. Allow more of his love to come through me. More of his joy, more of his patience, more of his kindness, more of his faithfulness, more humility, more self-control. God, I want to put Jesus on display in, with the people that I'm around today, but it's only by your spirit producing a Jesus life in me and through me that I can do that. And Father, if I start down the wrong road or when I start to live selfishly or when I start to rationalize or justify something that I know is not right in your eyes, God, help me to pay attention to your whole spirit and give me the power and the desire to respond positively and to submit to his promptings. Father, give me the power and desire to keep in step with your spirit every day in every way. That's prayerful dependence on the spirit and that's where it starts. That's where it starts. Now, I wanna close with a a story that I heard from a pastor friend of mine and uh, you know, if you have been on a journey with Christ, I'm sure you have stories like this. I've got some stories like this one but this one is a really good one. So I just gotta tell you. So this pastor, a friend of mine, was at home with his family. He was exhausted from a particularly grueling schedule. So he he's home, he's taking the whole day off. All he wanted to do was lay on his back, binge watch an entire Netflix series, and not get up for a good long time. But, phone rings, was not to be. He got a call saying that one of the leaders in his church, a young man, had had a heart attack, and they had rushed him to the hospital, and uh, they put a stint in, and fortunately, he was stable and doing well. So when the pastor got the call, he decided he would wait and go a little bit later in the day, because the guy was doing good, and, and one of the other pastors from the church was there with the family, so he decided he'd rest a little longer and go later. But he felt the Holy Spirit prompting him, like, go now. Now, he didn't hear an audible voice, but it's like this thought in his head, go now. So he responded positively. Positively. And he got up, got dressed, and uh, hurried out of the house, and it was like the Holy Spirit said, bring your big Bible. So whenever he went to the hospital, he always carried a little Bible that he kept in his truck, so he reached into the glove compartment, took out the little Bible, laid it uh, on the seat next to him, and the Spirit impressed him. The big Bible. So he just sat there in the truck arguing with God. Like, uh, God, I, I don't want to bring the big Bible, I'll take the little Bible. And he's arguing with God, like sitting there, I, you know, and, and, but he couldn't get away from the thought, bring the big Bible. So he reaches in the back seat, gets his backpack, pulls his big Bible out of the backpack, puts it on the seat next to the little Bible, he drives to the hospital, pulls up in the parking lot, starts to get out of the truck, reaches over to get his little Bible. God says, bring the big Bible. So he puts the little Bible down, grabs the big Bible, and he's thinking, this is so weird. Like, God, why do I have to come to the hospital now? And why do I have to carry a big Bible? And he's really perturbed about the whole thing, because, I mean, he was supposed to be, this is supposed to be his day off. He wanted to watch Netflix, he wanted to eat lots of carbohydrates and, sleep, and slip into a deep sleep. And so, but no, 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 he's walking to the hospital, and he's carrying his big Bible, which is not what he wanted to be doing. He walks into the emergency room and when he gets there, there's nobody at the desk and a woman walks up to him and she looks at him and she says, are you the man of God? And he said, at that point, you could flip a coin because uh, he didn't feel much like the man of God and so he said, "Uh, well, I'm a pastor and the woman was from Fiji and in in broken English, she said, then you're the one that God has sent. Now, get this this is what he said. He said, God told me to bring my big Bible. Is that for you? And, and she sat down and she started weeping. And she said, Yes. And he said, What's happened? What's wrong? And she told him that she had been unfaithful to her husband and she had secretly come uh, to take a test because she was afraid she'd gotten some infection. And she was scared to tell uh, it, it, because you know, nobody knew and she was scared to tell people. And so she prayed and she said, God, I will know that you love me and I will know that you are with me if you send a pastor to pray for me. And about, that, about the time she prayed that prayer, the pastor realized that was the time when God said, go now. And the only reason she knew he was a pastor was because he was carrying the big Bible. And she said she was getting ready to leave, but when he walked in and she saw the big Bible, she thought, God, you answered my prayer. And so the pastor sat down with her and he shared the gospel with her. He talked about what Jesus had done on the cross so her sins could be forgiven. He talked about how Satan loves to beat us up even after Jesus has forgiven us. And he told her how that God had told him to come to the hospital and carry a big Bible, which didn't make any sense to him then, but it did now. And she wept, and they prayed together, and she received Christ. I mean, is that not good? Listen, God, God's Spirit wants to lead every one of us in ways like that. And I like that story because it was the spirit that prompted the pastor to move beyond his own selfishness. It was the spirit that led that pastor in carrying out the work of Jesus in that woman's life. Now, do you see how, how, how this kind of life is different from rule-oriented religion? I mean, do you see in this story that there's a personal and a missional aspect to depending on the Spirit. And do you see how this pay attention, keep in step is lived out in this story? This is what depending on the Spirit looks like. This is what being sensitive and submissive to the Spirit looks like. This is how the Holy Spirit makes your relationship with God personal. And this is how the Holy Spirit leads you to be involved in Jesus' ongoing mission in the world. Anybody want a life like that? Yeah, me too. Would you bow your head and uh, as we've done in all of these seven value messages, I'm gonna give you about 60 seconds. Just listen for the Spirit to speak. What has the Spirit said to you as a result of what you've heard this morning? there something that he wants you to do? Some person he wants you to go talk to? Is there a change he wants you to make? Holy Spirit, speak to us in this moment. Amen.